Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined today not just in audio form, but hopefully in visual form. Last time we tried this, it did go horribly wrong. So uh, the caveat is we're trying video and audio podcast today. So if you're listening to this on ACAST or the usual podcast platform, there is also a video version which will be going out on our website and there'll be clips of it as well. Put, uh, put on the site as and when, but I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello, Rich. Nice to hear you. Nice to see you. And by Tyrone Marshall. Hello, Rich. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. How are both of you coping with uh, with lockdown at the moment? I think we're in, is it week nine at the moment? Uh, I think I think it's nine weeks since United last played or there was the last game of fo- football. So uh, yeah, I, th- I think there are, the, the withdrawal symptoms kicked in quite some time ago, but. It's uh, at least at least we can exercise with someone else from another household, not not three households or four households, but just two people from two separate households, which has caused a bit of a kerfuffle this week. But I'm sure we'll get onto that at some stage. And Ty, uh, yeah, surviving, mate. It's all um, it's all a little bit repetitive, isn't it? But other than that, it's um, it's okay. I, I'm getting by. I can't complain. There's there's people in far worse situations than me, so yeah. That's all we can do, isn't it, and take the positives. We're very lucky and privileged to be in the position we're in. And in terms of football, there has been quite a bit of news, actually, this week. And we always sort of joke and say, what is there to write about when there's not been a game, as Samuel said, there for, for nine months? I know United could technically say they're probably four months unbeaten or so now. Um, but if you, you know, Samuel, the fact is United are planning to go back to training at some point next week. It's got to be a sort of staged and staggered process. But, uh, yeah, what's the latest for United on training? There's been a couple of players in local parks and all the players who are overseas are now back in Manchester and are gearing up for a potential return to the Premier League. Yeah, the the club told the players uh, about two or three weeks ago to pretty much step up their, their fitness regimes um, in anticipation of coming back to Carrington next week and, and doing group sessions. I think four or five players were based overseas. Um, it was Lindelof, Romero, Fred, Fernandez, and Igalo might have been the other one. They're obviously all back in England now and ahead of, uh, hopefully anyway, going back to Carrington next week. The facilities, are, the drive-through facilities for testing are in place at Carrington. I think Ty did that story yesterday. Um, I mean, the, the kerfuffle that I was just referring to earlier was obviously you know, these pictures have come out. There's not been a great deal of um, interest in it, probably because it's it's quite a it's quite a strange subject to broach. But obviously Pogba, Lindelof and Pereira were training together yesterday. And I think those three and Marshall were training on Monday. Now, under these new exercise rules that the UK government have come up with, there there is technically a breach there. Um, United tried to suggest that they just all happen to be there at the same time, which is, is quite would be quite a remarkable coincidence. I mean, yes, they are all neighbours; they live nearby uh, each other. But you know, I think looking at the pictures yesterday, they were keep they were keeping social distancing, they were being um, responsible with that. And I think it's probably another failure of the government from the government's perspective that they've not communicated that professional athletes probably technically. Are allowed to train as a group together. I think England are back in nets next week. The cricket team. Um, that's all well and good, but of course, when, especially with a player like Pogba who's so popular, when those pictures come to light, kids, uh, underdeveloped adults will see it and think, "Oh, can I have a kickabout with 
my mate and this other mate and that mate. And that was literally a comment that was just on the Facebook page when um, the pictures went out yesterday. So there's not been a clarification from United on that. Um, it's probably a question that a sports reporter who um, is allowed on the government's daily briefings, I know they're not too useful anymore, but it's probably a question that does need to be put to them when footballers are going to parks and training responsibly. But technically, looking again at the government's website this morning, there is technically a breach there because it does say um, to two people from two separate households who can exercise together at the most. Um, I think the quote that was given by someone at the club yesterday to tie was that Victor Lindelof was nowhere near Pogba. Well, there's a picture of Victor Lindelof and Paul Pogba together and they're near each other. They're, there's a distance between them, but they are near each other. So it, it was almost like, you know, listening to a bit of a pretty Patel equivalent on that front. Um, so, you know, United have conducted themselves very well uh, throughout this lockdown period. They're, the support they've offered for the NHS, the, the things they've been doing have been uh, exemplary. Uh, it, you know, there, there probably needs to be some clarification communicated to the players. I'm not blaming the players in this case whatsoever. I think they've been quite responsible um, in terms of you know, so maintaining social distancing whilst training. But it is a grey area that probably needs addressing, particularly when it's liable to encourage a lot of people who want to get out and have a kick about to, um, you know, to link up with their friends. Yeah, it's a dangerous one on that sort of aspect. But Tyrone, if you were a United fan looking at it, you've got to maybe see the positive that Pogba's back in training. You know, the fact that United could be, well, they'll be staggered back into Carrington next week. Uh, United fans will be quite excited for when the Premier League does return because they're going to have a fully fit squad to pick from. Yeah, well, like I say, Pogba and Rashford should probably be back now. I mean, there's a theory that you know, Pogba's not played since Boxing Day. Rashford hasn't played since January the 15th, I think it was. So they're going to be short on match fitness, but so is, so is everyone. I mean, there's three, it's going to be three months when the Premier League does resume, at least since the last game for, for every player. So I think they're all going to be short of some level of fitness. Victor Lindelof's been training in Sweden with his old team, so he should be the fittest of the lot, really. You should be running rings around the rest of them for him. Playing up front of half. Quite possibly, yeah. You maybe use Victor Lindelof's legs to run midfield <laughs> or, uh, or something like that. But, yeah, it, it is exciting times, in a way, to know that they're, they're coming back. It's obviously very staggered. It's individual groups at the moment. Um, you had the Deputy Chief Medical Officer, I think, yesterday, saying that training has to go well first before they even consider playing games. So... Still think it's a lot of hoops to jump through before before we you know pencil in or ink in that date for uh, for return to to action. But it's obviously a positive sign that players are beginning to to train again, and a sign that from a football point of view things are, are roughly heading in the right direction. And Samuel, on the uh, sort of wider fitness issue, as Ty said, that every player's going to be in the same boat. It's almost going to be a clean slate, isn't it? When it comes to team selection again, I know we're still a long way off that, and we've not had a confirmed date yet of when it's going to return, but. When United do finally get back into action, Solskjaer's team has to be picked on who has been the best in training rather than who was the best players back in March. Yeah, unfortunately for certain players, the the momentum they had uh, at the time that, that football was suspended uh, that's that's been killed. Uh, that's that's the case for yeah, thousands of players in, in in the world really who are playing in different leagues. Um, in United's case, they're on a very good. They are on a very good unbeaten run, but it would be remarkable to expect them uh, to come back against whoever they play and to play how they were playing against uh, Manchester City and uh, LASK Linz. So 
I mean, with with Pogba's case, he he has got. I mean, as you said, everyone has got a clean slate. I think with him, it is it is still slightly different because he has what had about sixty minutes football or something like that in in seven months, eight months probably by the time that the season restarts. So I think that easing him back in is logical. I don't think there can be too much read into it. I'm sure some people will say, if come that first game back, Pogba's not in the team. There will be some say, oh, is this another reason? You know, is he, is he off? Is, is is his future in doubt again? I don't think that's the case whatsoever. I think you saw in December when he did come back into the team against Watford that easing him back in was quite productive because he was the only player who, who actually performed at Watford in, in, in that defeat. So rather than just rushing him back, I think there is some sense to that, even though he's had more than enough recovery time now. With Rashford, it's maybe a little bit different because... He's the highest score and he's not been out as long as Pogba has, um, even though there's not too much difference between a pair of them. Pogba's not started a game since September 3rd, I think it is, um, the Arsenal game. So there, there are slight differences um, with, with players' fitness, where, they, where they're where they at, uh, how they go about conditioning. Fred is very, very rigorous with how he goes about it. And that's been the case for, for quite some time now. I think, remarkably, he's not had an injury since... I think probably this month, two two years ago. So you're going back to May 2018, just before the World Cup. Um, players look after themselves in different ways. Some just look after themselves. Others have physical trainers. So it, it, it depends on so many. There are so many nuances that go with it that you, you you really wouldn't want to predict what that team will be if and when, if or when United come to restarting the season. Yeah, Ty, Samuel touched upon it there, that there's going to be maybe a few players who suffer from the loss of momentum, but it'll be a, quite a good barometer, wouldn't it, when football does return, just to see maybe just how good players like Luke Shaw and Matic actually still are for United, because they were playing really well and they were mm. two of the finest players this calendar year. But after a two-month break, it's going to be three months likely by the time football gets back underway. It's a real test, isn't it, and a real chance for them to show that they are, that it wasn't sort of a purple patch. They really are at that standard now and United can rely on them again. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be the true litmus test for, for Solskjaer and the progress he's made as, as well, I think. They were on this great unbeaten run, 11-game unbeaten run. They were defending well and two goals conceded, scoring a lot of goals. And it really felt in February and March as if they had turned a corner, they'd found a winning formula, they had players in form, in confidence, and kind of felt that, that 11-game unbeaten run when he first took over was always a bit of a red herring. It was just a bounce from, from a place in Mourinho. I think players seemed so happy. There was just a natural uplift there and it was always going to crash and burn and it felt inevitable with the fitness as well. At the moment, now this unbeaten run has felt a little bit more secure. It's been built on more solid foundations and, and Solskjaer's been at pains to point that out as well. And he was at pains to point that out in his last um, press conference after after Lintz that this was a much better unbeaten run than, than the first one and it was likely to last longer. Obviously, they've completely lost that momentum. So how they fare in those first few games, I think will be a good indication of whether that just was just the, the streak of a, a confident team or, or whether it was actually signs that you know they are they are building something under Solskjaer and, and starting to look good on a, on a more consistent basis. So I think it will be, well, it's difficult to read too much into it, given there's going to be so many uncertainties about empty you know, empty stadiums, playing without crowds, players are understandably going to be uncertain going into those first few games. You don't want to read too much into it, but I still think it's a good a good litmus test for seeing just just you know, just how solid the foundations of that unbeaten run um were built on. 
Yeah, well, you were both there when United did play against Lask in Austria. Um, I guess it's got to be, maybe, I mean, like we said, it's still a long way before matches return, but that's got to be another positive United going to that game. The fact that they have played behind closed doors and what was going to be a tricky away game turned into a role in the park for them. You know, United must have that positive in the back of their minds that even if there aren't fans, which is the ideal situation, United know that they can cope with with just playing behind behind closed doors and make it a mundane win. <laughs> Who wants to go on that one? <laughs> right, I mean, the first 25, when Zagallo scored that goal, for half an hour, until he yes. scored that goal, mm. it did feel like a pre-season friendly, really. The first 25 minutes, there was no indication that United were going to win that game 5-0. It was very... You know, it was a game befitting of its surroundings in a small stadium on the outskirts of a small Austrian city with nobody there. Um, Igalo scored that goal and after that, United were very good. They were good second half and it did kind of give them some belief. But for the first half an hour until that stunning goal from Igalo, it, it did feel much more low-key than you would normally expect. And I think it's there's a degree of inevitability that some games will, will lose their edge once they're A, behind closed doors and you lose the atmosphere and B, players are going to be reluctant to go into tackles or be going into tackles thinking how do I turn my face away from this and there's going to be all those scenarios that we have to play out so I think there will be a slight edge lost in a lot of these games yeah like I said that might suit United in the smaller games but then much of the big games the big wins as well have been by feeding off that energy in that environment so it's going to be interesting to see just what happens and how United would to react to it uh, something we talked before saying that nine weeks out of game what do we write about frankly for us Germany have come to the rescue <laughs> Bundesliga back this weekend. Transfer targets galore for United to to maybe watch uh, and the people that they can scout this weekend. And all eyes will be on Jaden Sancho when uh, Dortmund return. It's a good opportunity, isn't it, United now, just to see maybe just how good Jaden Sancho can be and all the eyes of the world will be watching him. It's also a good opportunity for Dortmund to drive up his price, given that he's approaching the last two years of his contract. Um, I mean, Dortmund have been flip-flopping a bit over what Sancho's going to do in the, uh, I think earlier this year, they pretty much were resigned to him leaving. But of course, with the coronavirus pandemic, that's that's had such a massive change on, on the transfer market that there's every chance that these big players who are lining up moves this summer will um, will be marooned at their clubs for, for another year. I think Pogba's probably the best example of that. With Sancho, I still think that you know, with it, it could just be a one-club auction there. I know there have been other clubs that have been linked with him, but he's the kind of player that United, as soon as they're interested in him, it's almost as if certain clubs will just back away because there's no point competing with them in terms of the finances, even though I suspect United will have the reluctance to you know, meet what Dortmund want for him. I mean, possibility of United spending £120 million, £100 million up front for a player like that does seem utterly unrealistic but this this weekend is a particularly significant weekend for all sorts of reasons of course you know, European football uh, apart from Belarusian league which has been um, soldiering on regardless I think um, it, but competitive you know elite European football is restarting and the TV ratings for the Bundesliga are just going to shoot through the roof and Sancho will be aware of that I know there's not going to be a crowd at the game obviously so there's not an atmosphere for him to feed off as such, but pretty much the eye, it's not, sometimes we exaggerate it when we say the eyes of the world are on this game, but this that's very much going to be the case tomorrow when, uh, when Dortmund and Schalke play against each other. And I think 
now I think it's safe to say that we won't be the only outlet doing a scouting report on Sancho as well because it's the obvious thing to do. Um, it's a pity, obviously, none of us can, can travel to go to the game, but it's the logical uh, thing to write about uh, and to assess him and to really go into, for, for the other guys doing you know the more analytical stuff, do very in-depth follow-ups on just how well he actually played. Tyrone, it's going to be, like uh, someone said, a real good test and a real platform for Sancho to, to prove just how good he is this weekend. Uh, in your heart of hearts, deep down, can you see Sancho actually leaving Dortmund this summer now that we've had this uh, this pandemic? Um, a lot of it probably depends how financially secure Dortmund are after it. Um, I, I know they said the other day to, to the BBC that they had no intention to to sell, I would be happy if nobody was interested, but they're not going to come out and admit that they want to do a deal. They also said in that that I think they're going to lose three, four million euros per game behind closed doors. And I think a lot a lot of clubs might have to consider the sale of, of big players to to cover those losses and to help the finances. And if, if Sancho determines to leave Dortmund and isn't going to sign a new contract, then his value is going to be probably higher now than it will be next summer. Unless he has another brief season the financials recover next year. There's more position for him. But, you know, I think United would probably still be in a position to, to pay big money for him and while that price might go down if they're the only club interested in Dortmund to sell I, I, I mean I can still see a deal happening but Dortmund need one to happen in the wake of, of what's happened to their finances yeah, It could be interesting to see and of course uh, you have to have eyes on other players like Timo Werner Ravi Matondo's appeared as another option a backup option so there's going to be lots of interest in the Bundesliga this weekend and do you think that United's transfer policy might change yet again, Samuel, and the fact they are going to have to maybe look at even cheaper options this summer, because we've heard of players like you know, Jack, James Madison, we understand, probably going to be too expensive this summer, but Sancho could prove to be too expensive. Do you think United, I mean, I know you've done the piece saying they still want to get about three players this summer if they can, but do you think they might have to quell this sort of, the stature of the players they want to go for? Because they might not be able to get the top targets, and it's surely important that the club don't just buy for the sake of buying as well. Yeah, I, I, I can certainly see that happening, and also, um, the outgoings list is probably going to be um, shorter than they, they'd have anticipated. I think there was certainly a way in, in an ordinary uh, year, in an ordinary summer window, that United could have got quite a lot of money from player sales this summer. Uh, you're talking about Ogba, Chris Smalling, Lingard. I think those, those three alone, you're looking at possibly close to £150 million for those three players. I don't think that's you know a massive over-exaggeration in terms of the possible... Um, the value of those players at this at this current time, but of course now, the you know we've had this world health crisis. Uh, part is completely unrecognisable, and it's going to be unrecognisable from from previous editions. There'll still be big big money deals, but from United's, I mean United have never spent more than 150 million in a single summer window on permanent signings. And that crazy mark of 2017 when Neymar and Mbappe left and uh, to to Barcelona, that has calmed down an awful lot since then. Um, partly because the next year was a World Cup year, so just by virtue of that, there are always going to be fewer deals and fewer big money deals. Even though obviously Liverpool made, made a couple of big signings in in Allison and um, I think Naby Van Dijk came in the January, but Allison was the main one, and Kepa went to Chelsea for a goalkeeping record as well. Um, so, I mean, from way United looking at it, he's a two forward in the midfielder. Um, if you want top draw players. That, that's an awful lot of money. That's certainly more than £150 million. I need to obviously bring revenue in from outgoings to uh, service that costs. And I think Solskjaer said himself that the Fernandes will be factored into the summer budget. So does that have an effect? In the sense that they could sign someone like Jude Bellingham, who's a 16-year-old and on a professional contract uh, for a relatively frugal fee. And 
plans to sign a more experienced midfielder until next year because Matic has signed an extension, uh, or rather United have taken up uh, the one-year option Matic's extension, and Pogba's likely to stay. So you can safely have those plans as an established midfielder anyway until next year because of how uh, rude, yeah, I mean, the middle partner is in rude health. So, again, it's like this in the players. In terms of the market, there are so many variables and nuances um, as to what could happen and what, what is happening at the moment. Um, but I still think there's an outcome where United do at least at least clinch two, two big buys, if you like. I mean, Debris could be seen as a big buy, but he might not cost too much because Villa could get relegated and they've got an awful lot of, that's an awful lot of money in retaining the Premier League season. So if they do go down to the Championship and they're obviously compounded by a coronavirus crisis, they're going to be in dire need of money as possible. Not 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 to the extent that Leeds were when they sold Alan Smith to United or anything like that, but there are certainly parallels with those two situations. Yeah, it's interesting. I know we've talked, spoken a lot of last few weeks about this whole project restart, what might happen. The fact that if relegation was scrapped, it would fade United in terms of maybe fixtures coming up. I need the piece on that. But if you know, relegation was scrapped, it might give Villa a bit more power in any Jack Grealish <coughs> negotiations. Mm. So it's interesting, you know, I mean, when you look at the broader picture and you might say what happens at the bottom half doesn't really matter to United. It does have both results on, on terms of United fixtures and into the transfer market as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I, I wrote that piece, but I did say it. I don't think there's any any scenario where relegation should be scrapped, to be honest, even if the season has to end now, I think three teams should just go down. And Villa got, I mean, Villa would go down, I think, at most, um, on, on a point of game basis. And they've obviously got a back out of it. If they do go down, they simply have to sell Grealish. I don't think there's any other scenario for them other than selling Grealish, given the, the financial issues dropping out of the Premier League necessitates anyway before you take this crisis into account. Plus, I think Grealish is, is probably a, a big Villa fan and, and obviously a partner for there. If they get relegated, then I think he has to accept that his time is up. He needs to move on to bigger and better things to, to make most of his potential. So, if it's based on that way, I would be reluctant to move too far down the list of alternative targets. To be honest, if you can't hold your top ones or you can't get top ones this year, you're in a scenario where a lot of clubs might be struggling to, to do business. You're talking about United maybe being insulated from it a little bit. City probably are because of their wealth, but we just don't really know how it's going to play out. And City are in a position where they've four or five new signs to follow. That's what needs freshening up this season. If they don't get that many in, then you know, you're potentially looking at them being on a bit of a downward curve. United have been on a curve. And it could also play into the hands of the academy at United. The academy's Perhaps found found form and found a good age group again at the right time. If United struggling to get players in, every every team's trying to get players in. Then more and more looked at their academy, and as we've seen under twenty three and under eighteen level this year, it looks like United have some talent coming through again, which has perhaps not been facing in recent years. And as far as results have been concerned, yeah, it's, it's a real shame the uh, the FA Youth Cup was cancelled. United were doing so well at like that quarter final at Chelsea to look forward to. Um, has, the, has, has the Youth Cup been cancelled as well? I think, yeah, yeah. The, the, I, think, I think I think the seasons have been cancelled. I think the Youth Cup they're going to try because it's. It's, it's obviously the FA and not the Premier League. So the FA Youth Cup can still be played. Can you see that then? It's got to be a very little priority list, in, in my, Unfortunately for the players involved, I don't think the experience is going to be anywhere near as fully as, as it should have been. Um, I think the whole line closed doors thing, for something like that, having fans present at, say, in a Youth Cup semi-final final, is going to be the highlights on the players' list. And unfortunately, you can envisage a scenario where they kind of play it as like this at the end of, of where the mm. three games are all stages St George's Park. It, that wouldn't surprise me. Enough to see. Um, in terms of this weekend, have, have you chosen the Bundesliga club that you've got for this season yet? Uh, I, I mean, it feels a bit cliche to say Dortmund, but there's lots of like that club, isn't it? And a standout fixture this weekend. Although it's interesting to see one of the, the biggest stars in Europe is goes played out behind closed doors and played out at stadium as well with an 80,000 capacity where there's a 25,000 capacity stand going on the goal that's completely empty. So for a derby, it's going to feel fairly strange, but... I think that will, will be an interesting game. And Union Berlin, I think, are a, a bit of a, a hipster's choice in, in that league. I'm sure they'll have... You love, you love a hipster's choice, don't you? I love a hipster's choice. I'm sure there's a few in, in the past in Manchester that will be there. Cheering Union Berlin. 
Yeah, I need to. I need to say that I can only when everyone looks at Neil Custis's uh, account tomorrow while all these German football games are going on. He's he's, he's already expressed enthusiasm already. It's a real shame it's not a Bocca versus Rue player, isn't it? <laughs> sure, we can uh, wait for that one. That's free to happen. Uh, yourself, have you got anything planned in the next couple of weeks? Just more lockdown. More, more lockdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's about it. Nothing there. Day off tomorrow, but every day is very, very similar to a working day without <laughs> work, on it? So. We'll wait and see. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining us this time on the Man Manchester Red podcast. Uh, Samuel Ty, take care. Thank you very much for joining us. And thank you very much as well for listening on whatever platform it was. I said this podcast will be audio and visual this week. So if you want to see the man behind the hipster choice of Tyron Marshall, get online and see just what it looks like if he matches the picture in your head. And if not, <laughs> please do leave a like and subscribe. And we'll see you again next time.